0: Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies, I'm Mike And I'm Jose We saw um, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool Yes On different days Like On uh, different
1: days, this is and, you know, the second time that we have uh, seen a film separately
0: So I, I saw it this morning
1: Ah, so it's fresh on your mind because I saw it
0: Friday, s- right? Yes Two Friday. days ago
1: Yes See, I already can't remember.
0: <laughs> um, well, here's one thing that maybe, maybe I should be ashamed of, maybe not, that I um, that I should admit to. I didn't know it was based on reality. Oh, I, I did not know that. I didn't know that um, Gloria Graham was a real person. Oh, I, no, didn't, I didn't No, I didn't know who she was. Have you never encountered her in films? No, not, not, not that I know of. I mean, I'll have a quick look at her, uh, her credits, but I, I, I don't know that I've ever actually seen a film in which she... Which acted. is very much
1: in the news at the moment, because the BFI...
0: Oh, is... she was in It's Wonderful Life. Yes. Well, I've seen that. I've seen that a hundred times.
1: Um, <laughs> exactly. So you know who she is. She's the librarian who ends up as a hooker. Ah. If, you know, if... If... Who would have... En- sorry, who would have ended up as a hooker yes. had uh, the James Stewart character died. George, I think.
0: George... Um... Uh, Well, I'm going to have to remember his name before we carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, George
1: Bailey. George Bailey. So um, Greatest uh,
0: show on Earth. And actually... Bad and Beautiful is obviously what she won Best Supporting Actress for. Yes. The Big Heat.
1: She's wonderful (laughs) in The Big Heat. Well, she's wonderful in almost everything, actually. that's one One of the interesting things about Gloria Graham is that she's... She she was never quite a star, if by star you mean, you know, somebody with box office who gets films built around her.
0: I think a star is someone whose name goes on the poster.
1: Well, okay, in that sense she was a star then. Her name did go in the poster. Okay. Uh, um, though, you know, relatively briefly in the 50s, actually. Mm. You know, so, but she wasn't an above the title star. Yeah, mm. she wasn't a box... You know, if you think of the 50s, for example, which is where uh, she was at her peak, you know, you think of Elizabeth Taylor or Marilyn Monroe or Audrey Hepburn, she was never that kind of big star, right? She was, um, well, she she won her Oscar for The Bad and the Beautiful in a supporting part, you know, and she was always kind of like, she she was often the lead in a kind of a B-ish film or, you know, she had a smaller role in a larger film. Mm. Uh, uh, And what she's best remembered for are the Noirs, and when she start, you know, have, have you not seen In a Lonely Place with Bogart?
0: No. I, I've never seen a Bogart film. Oh my God. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm so, terrible. So, so malnourished.
1: We must rectify that. <laughs> in a Lonely Place is a masterpiece. It's really beautiful. So, um, Humphrey Bogart plays someone who is mistaken for a psychotic killer, uh, but acts like one. They live across the courtyard from each other, and he's a screenwriter, and he writes the screenplay with, you know, he's, so he's trying to tell her how he feels about her, but he can't tell her. So, you know, he writes it in his screenplay, and the line is one of those swoonily romantic film noir lines, which goes, you know, I was born when I met you. I died when you left me. For a brief while, I lived while you loved me. <laughs> <laughs> you see it? Me, with sure. my bad memory, I've never forgotten that line. Uh, he ends up kind of being innocent, but it's a fascinating film because he ends up being innocent, but actually he almost strangles her, so actually the the relationship ends anyway, i.e., you know, uh, uh, he screws up the relationship and shows the potential that even though he wasn't the person, what the police is looking for, he could so easily be. It's really a truly great film. Um... And, and the interesting thing about her is that she's one of the most memorable presences in film noir and in 1950s cinema without ever having been, you know, that kind of above the title star, mm. you know? Uh, and in fact, there's, an, there's a retrospective at the moment of her work uh, at the British Film Institute in London. So... You know, which is probably time to the release of this I
0: it's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Because a film about her final days has just come out.
1: Yes. Um,
0: so... Uh, oh, spoiler alert, by the way, she dies in this. <laughs> 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 but not, Any... in, not in Liverpool, though.
1: Yeah. Um, well, because film stars don't die in Liverpool. No, they die just after <laughs> a long flight that they <laughs> shouldn't have <laughs> taken <laughs> back to America. Um,
0: so what did you think of it? I didn't uh, think very much of it. Yes, I didn't think very much of it either. I'm glad. Um, because I feared you would like it. I do
1: think that the performances by the two leads are, very are towering. like you know um, Annette Benning is absolutely extraordinary because you know she really captures the voice and the movements, like, and actually one of the things about the film is that it moves from scenes or posters or images of the real Gloria Graham onto a close-up of Annette bending, and it doesn't jar, right? Like, no, she looks just like you know, okay. um, So, uh, I mean, I think, I think she gives an extraordinary performance. And I was also impressed by... Um, Jamie Bell. Yeah, whom I normally don't like. Okay. You know? So, and I think he does extraordinary things here. He's kind of really, you know, superb. Uh, and he holds your attention. And he's got kind of like this interesting... Sexuality that he's never shown before. He comes across as, you know, a sexier somebody who's up for it. Really, um, you know, who's up for sex and who enjoys it, and you know, and who people find that an attractive trait in him. It's one of the things that makes him mm. kind of end up with a film star.
0: Basically, yeah. he's he's kind of live, yes, and uh, yeah, seductive.
1: Yes, I hated the way that the film is. Structured.
0: Well, so let's um, let's just briefly say what it's actually about. So it's based on a memoir. Yes, which by I read guy, years ago. Right, by this guy Peter um, something, Peter Turner, um, which was based on his relationship with uh, Gloria Graham in uh, in nineteen seventy nine to nineteen eighty one. Yes, um, he was twenty six in nineteen seventy nine, and she would have been in her mid to late fifties.
1: Yes, the thing is that the film is told. Uh, in flashbacks, right? But chronologically, what happens is uh, the Jamie Bell character is a drama student in London. Mm-hmm. He ends up in the same house as Gloria Graham. Uh, they develop a relationship. Uh, he goes with her to New York and to Hollywood. The The whole family meets up. They're introduced to both, to the family of each of them, and so on, but they split up. Uh, and so... Uh, 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 the, yeah, Jamie that, Bell character, the Jamie Bell character returns uh, uh, back home uh, he starts working at the Liverpool Playhouse uh, and then at the same time uh, Gloria Graham is acting in the Glass Menagerie in Lancaster collapses and he's the person that she calls to help and basically mm. the rest of the film is wrapped around you know her dying moments but also explaining things about why they broke up you know, how they met, how the relationship developed, the differences between them, and the real reason why they broke up.
0: Yeah, so you didn't like the way it was structured. I didn't.
1: I thought it was, like, really <clears throat> theatrical. I thought it's a, pay- it's, a, it's, a, it's a piece that could have been done on stage, right? You know, every time one of the characters goes into another room, he, you know, he or she goes back into the past or the present or the future, right? So it's almost like a curtain call each time, right? Like, I kind of, I didn't like the way that that was all done. But then I thought that the rest of the mise-en-scene of the film didn't compensate for it. Like, you know, I didn't find the mise-en-scene expressive. And there were some moments that I thought were just so badly done, right? Like, you know, their whole meeting, where, you know, they're meant to be dancing to disco music, right? And It's I cut thought, up and edited. It's cut up and edited in this very weird way, which kind of focuses on their heads, you know, rather than on their bodies, in which actually the dance demonstrates no joy or connection or even though Jamie Bell is really into it and it's fun watching him up to a point mm. but I thought that was really miserably directed
0: yes I mean I agree it's it, there's no imagination in it or no, no not even like a basic understanding really of what the scene should be communicating mm. as you say the d- the dancing is about your body yeah and you you kind of get some long shots but really it's trying to it's trying to communicate it through their expressions to each other where the expressions are they're just dancing yes You don't dance with your foes. And that's another thing. I thought the film... The film on the one hand... I mean, I thought the structure was very theatrical. Well, when you say the structure, what you're really talking about is the way that it would switch between scenes. Because it would literally be a character walking through a door in 1979 and emerging on a beach in 1981. You could see this. That, That stuff, I agree, was a little bit forced. But the structure in terms of actually going between 1981 and 1979... It's not a bad... Okay, so the
1: way that the structure was filmed, let's put it that way, that would be more accurate. Yeah. Um, So I thought it was a weird thing of, you know, having that, you know, be theatrical on the one hand, and then the rest of the film looked like a really cheap made-for-TV movie, you know? It was all done in close-ups, you know? It all kind of looked a bit threadbare and inelegant, you know? And I don't mean because it's set in a Liverpool kind of working-class home, I mean actually just... You know the the shots seem threadbare and inelegant. You know even the scenes in California seem kind of cheap and gauzy and. The sets, I think, are very
0: good. I think the worlds in uh, in which it's set are quite uh, convincing and well Mm. realized. I really felt, you know, what what a a house in Liverpool felt like in 1981. Yes. Um, Yes. The the. So the, the the setting and the design, the, the the kind of physical design of actually everything that you... All the props and so on. Mm. That's great, I think. And what did you think great. of Julie Walters playing the mom? I liked her very much. I liked her very much, and I was
1: so happy to like her because <laughs> I hated her so much in Paddington.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought she was kind of part... Of, not really quite recognisable. Mm. I needed the confirmation of the credits at the end that she was Julie Walters. Oh, no, you could tell um, from
1: her voice. Um,
0: yeah, maybe, but... Um, no, I thought she was great. And you know, I think the only
1: two things to recommend which are, you know, very considerable, I think, is the performances. I mean, I think they're both extraordinary.
0: Yeah. You know? Um, and, and, you know, if you're above, you know, sort of 45 years old, then you will recognise those washing machines in the kitchen... <laughs> In the house in Liverpool. Is that the best thing you can say about the film? I think old people, old people will love this. They'll go, I, I lived in that flat. I know what that's like. I saw, I had that wallpaper. They'll say, yes, you know. I think I had that hair.
1: I think it's a pity in a way that uh, you know. Here's a film that could have done so much more about about could have told us so much more about stardom, about. Um You know, Gloria Graham, and about her career and the, you know what 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 Hollywood did to women over a certain age, you know one of the things that Gloria Graham was famous for, like f- more than famous, notorious for was having constant plastic surgery, right kind of sentimentalally in his memoir writes about the bad and the beautiful that like they had to tell her to stop because the shots didn't match. She would just appear, right? And all of a sudden she would appear with huge lips or so yeah, like yeah. kind of, you know. Which I I remember finding interesting because I didn't realise that plastic surgery, you know, went that far back. Though so actually it really goes much yeah. further back yeah. than that, right? Um but anyway, so you know this insecurity about you know, one's image and kind of, you know, maintaining an image and, you know, having to look a certain way and what age does to women in that position. There's so many interesting things that the film could have explored and it just doesn't.
0: It just, it kind of vaguely is. I like the opening in which she is... um you see her preparing to go on stage, and she's going through her putting up on, on her makeup, and she has a song on and it. It's this kind of beautifying ritual mm. yes. that she's going through, and with a song, uh, with a song, I can't remember what the song is, but um, there is this, there is this thing. That I think you're constantly getting from a character that she wants to feel young. Yes, um, uh, and whether that's through a relationship with a 26 year old, or through, uh, or the, the film doesn't mention. Uh, uh, extensive plastic surgery or continuing plastic surgery but you're always getting the impression she wants to fill you on there's this constant thing of Romeo and Juliet she wants to play Juliet and she yes. gets very pissed off with Jerry Bell's character when he says aren't you a bit old for that yes um. Um, which you know I
1: mean people on stage have played Juliet you know at quite an age really um, for me kind of you know what, what, what frustrated me the most was that the aspects of stardom weren't really explored no. and also it hints at a really interesting kind of dimension, really, which, you know, is that conversation where the Jamie Bell character reveals to her that he's also slept with men, and she also kind of reveals that, you know, she's not above an interest in women, right? Mm. And I thought that was kind of something interesting, because, you know, there is, like, this whole thing of aging divas marrying... Men who subsequently end up being gay or at least bisexual, right? Yeah, there's so many stars in which you know Judy Garland, probably being the most famous. I think her last two or three husbands were all gay. The film touches on all of these things and doesn't explore them. Yeah. The other thing that it touches on is you know she was notorious for, I suppose, like Woody Allen, um, she got married to Nicholas Ray, mm-hmm. right? Who Directed in a Lonely Place and other cause and so on. And then her next husband was Nicholas Ray's son from a previous marriage, right? I,
0: I think her husband after uh, I think the next husband but one okay. thing.
1: All right. right, but in a way it doesn't matter but but the the rumor and I've I've, I've read it stated somewhere is that that actually um, either Nick Ray caught her sleeping with mm. the son. Yeah, while well, they were married. Right. Uh, um,
0: what I read on Wikipedia was that it was supposed to have begun when he was 13.
1: Ah, uh, right. Okay. The, I didn't know about 13, but quite, as a teenager, I heard. Yeah? Right. So, so then again, that kind of raised to me an interesting kind of homology between, you know, that being in, you know, the past with the current relationship that she was having, you know, right. with, with the Jamie Bell character, who probably was a bit younger than what her stepson would have been at the time that the film was set. Right, mm. so so kind of all those things are in the background of the story but they're never brought into play you know so kind of I, th- I thought that was one of the frustrating elements of the film
0: yeah there's one line of her sister who's a bit frust- or angry or jealous with her yes and, Frances uh, Barber who's very good she's very good and uh, j- just makes mention of uh, you know you didn't don't ask her what age it started or something like that but yeah. that's all and, and she's quite catty but um the film isn't keen to press that. <laughs> yes. I also liked
1: um, Vanessa Redgrave as the mother. Yes.
0: Wasn't she lovely? Uh, she's, she's, she's always wonderful. A, oh, absolutely.
1: Joy. Uh, she's always luminous, really. She always brings something. Um, and she kind of plays it quite romantically, really. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's a film that the performances are really quite extraordinary. I loved all of them, actually. Um, but... You know, it doesn't really hold up to a lot of scrutiny.
0: There are elements of the direction. I remember thinking at one point, the word deft came into my mind. The direction was quite deft at one point. I can't remember, I think it would have been the point where you see the argument that ends up splitting up the two of them, and then you see it again with the knowledge now that uh, Gloria has been out... Getting yeah, diagnosed yeah. with cancer, so the first time you see it is from Jamie Bell's perspective, Yes. Uh, and he's just frustrated that that she's lying to him and hiding something and all that. Um, second time you see it is with this knowledge, and it's shown a second time. And, and I thought this is quite good. This yes. is quite good. No, but this a second but time, I don't know
1: if that's a question of direction. I think no, there were sense... elements of the direction. The, the, okay, well.
0: were, but but it's also it's also the way the story <coughs> told at that point. I agree, um, but there are there are elements to the direction that I think are kind of. Uh, show some sort of creativity, ability. But it's like... So we were looking at Paul McGuigan, uh, uh, who's the director, his previous films, and the only one I, I can be sure of that I've seen is Gangster Number 1. And basically what I remember about that is I didn't like it very much. And it's kind of stylish, but not, not enough. And actually, same kind of thing as this. Basically, it's the performances that carry that film. Yes. The whole way.
1: Um, I mean, I can't tell, because I've obviously seen... You know I mean I love Luke Cage and so on but I can you know I can't distinguish which episodes he might have directed from you know which ones he didn't and of course you know the role of directing on television is kind of subsumed by the showrunner so it's kind of like a different thing really quite altogether yeah. so it's hard to attribute credit and or as a blame. director on
0: TV if you could if, if people can tell who you are you've probably actually done your job wrong right I think I, I think that's generally I mean there was like an episode of CSI or something when Quentin Tarantino directed it and it was a big thing like Quentin Tarantino did this but normally you're just there to get what's written down onto the screen I think it's more perfunctory I mean um, you know the thing is
1: as I said she's such a glorious and vibrant presence that you know, I think what people should do really is go see one of the great classic laurie Graham films, and mm. you know, I would inst. I mean, she's got some roles that just you know stay in your mind. I mean, primarily in A Lonely Place and The Big Heat, and Human Desire, and also she was famously the girl who can't say no in the original film of Oklahoma. Mm. You know, she's quite wonderful doing that as well. Um, so you know, I just I would just recommend instead of seeing this, go see one of her original kind of you know films. Get it out on DVD. They're playing at the moment, particularly in a lonely place.
0: I'll tell you the main problem I have with it. It's a, it's it's a love story, and at no point did I feel it. I mean, I should have been weeping at points, and in yes. fact, I was just faintly bored. There are points actually there are there are moments where it's it's kind of it's so well constructed as to get. Uh, there, there are points where it is it is actually well put together and well directed, and there's nothing really wrong with it. And the actors are putting in good performances. And, you know, the point's where it's kind of heading towards a climax where, like, they're, they're doing Romeo and Juliet on stage and things like this. And I'm going, why aren't I feeling something? Yes. Because there's nothing really wrong, but there, there's no feeling here. Yes. But I don't that, know what it is. It, it just lacks... I don't know. I thought it lacked, it lacked it lacks, depth. It lacks substance and significance. It, doesn't, it right. makes nothing feel meaningful.
1: Okay, I was going to say it lacks depth and texture, but substance and significance is better. Um, so it's kind of, it's one of those films that I actually, I think it's really a trifle kind of masquerading, you know, as an art house I, film. I don't of, like that it, Of it, substance and significance. Yeah. It's quite cheap looking. I don't know another way of putting it, you know. Um, Inexpensive. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> but, but I really mean cheap in the sense that it is inexpensive and also it's kind of threadbare, you know. That you think, you know, had they had more of a budget, you know, a whole bunch of the sequences would have looked different and would have looked better. You know, I was thinking particularly all of the California scenes in Malibu and whatever. You know, it looked kind of cheap. It looked so, like the, well, the kinds stuff of the photographs car, I take. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. stuff
0: in the car was very, very cheap. Um, um, so... so um, I mean, I thought that this
1: is one, one of those things where actually you do feel that the budget affected the quality because there are just scenes that feel needlessly bare. So, for example, all the scenes, you know, in New York, in the apartment, there's never, like, more than one person on the street or, you know, it's always filmed from inside a lobby where, you know, you have, like, two people outside or, right? You know, I kind of, I, I, I think it looks cheap.
0: Let's see if we can find a budget for it. Budgets not applicable.
1: Nah. Well, did? I don't need to look at a budget to tell you it looks cheap. So you know. Well,
0: you don't know. Yeah, but maybe it costs. Maybe it costs three hundred grand. Maybe it costs three hundred million. And well, it all the, went it on. It cost <laughs> three hundred
1: million. Annette Bening got two ninety
0: nine. Which t- I'd be surprised. I else as well, I saw it at the electric. I don't know about you. I sided the electric. yeah. Did you sit in the upstairs room? Yes. I I prefer the upstairs room. I've realised to the downstairs one because the the, the downstairs room, the electric, is they try and make it feel like an actual cinema. Yes. But it's not. It's not big enough. It's the screen's too far away, so it looks like a postage stamp. Whereas the upstairs one, it's about eight rows, and yes. the screen's right in front of you, and you could fill it with your mates. It's like it's quite intimate in there, yes. and actually, it feels like a real art cinema upstairs. Yes. I prefer that one. Yes. Because I have this problem with The Electric. I want to be able to, to say nice things about The Electric because it's a local burning of cinema. I want to be able to support it. It's independent. And so often I can't. Is it independent? I believe, I don't, it's not part of a chain. Well, I, if it's independent,
1: I don't understand their programming. You know, Because basically they're programming everything that you can see at Cineworld. I mean, all of the films playing at The Electric the day I saw it had been playing at Cineworld the week before. Mm. They're playing the Poirot film. They're, they were playing um, th- this one, uh, uh, film stars don't die in Liverpool, which had played at the at Cineworld the week before. And I forget what the third one is. I don't
0: remember.
1: Um, but they were all playing at Cineworld. So actually, Murder on the Orient Express, maybe. Well, Murder on the Orient Express, definitely.
0: Um, I'll have a quick look at their sh- at their uh, program. Uh, today was Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, Paddington, Murder on the Orient Express, and Suburbicon, which we must see. Yeah, Paddington was the other one. So they were showing Paddington,
1: Murder on the Orient Express, and Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. It's exactly the programming of uh, of Cineworld, except Cineworld shows other stuff as well.
0: Mm. So well, they're, d- they're doing they're doing Call Me by Your Name. So in the upcoming week, for instance, Call Me by Your Name, Sorcerer, a Disaster Artist, in The Room, Old Boy, uh, Gremlins, plus a Q and A with. I don't know who. Blade Runner. They're still showing Blade Runner. Moonlight. So they they show kind of you know what, what else they got? Beauty and the Beast, Dunkirk, It's a Wonderful Life, Baby Driver. So okay. they've got a bunch of stuff kind of coming back. Maybe that's a Christmas season. I don't know if they do that regularly.
1: I don't think they do it regularly. Well, you know. Anyway, good for them because you know that's that what you just said is the kind of programming I'd like to see at the electric. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, why you support it. Um, but the mainstay of their programming to me, you know, from what I can see and i walk by it every day is is you know they rely on kind of like these big films that show us in the world um you know to an exorbitant extent and that's what you see pictured outside in their posters and i don't like that
0: and like i say what what my problem is is that i would like to be able to say some really positive things and i end up not being able to because i don't think the screen is good enough basically yeah. well i think and it's over it's nine pound 50 for the ticket today, i know which is a lot on top of that is a British film, which I want to be able to say good things about because of British industry, and it's not good.
1: Hmm. Well, the, the not good or the good, I don't mind, because, you know, you, you take your chances, right? I'm, oh, yeah. I'm happy that they're showing it. I mean, I think kind of what bothers me is, you know, when they're showing films that you could see at Cineworld you know, cheaper, on a much better screen and sound system and everything than you do there. I mean, Mm. you know, that I don't get, right? If you're just going to go see the standard Hollywood blockbuster, then why the fuck see it at The Electric, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, kind of, that annoys me about the programming. But, you know, it it is a cinema that I very much want to support, actually. And, you know, kind of... Because, actually, we're so starved now for good programming. And, to be fair... You know, where it happens, it either happens there or at the Mockingjay Cinema, you know, or rarely at the Midlands Arts Centre.
0: So, which we should go to the Mockingjay Cinema. Hmm. The Gremlins Q&A is Zach Galligan, who's the star. The main, your main man in Gremlins. Oh, well, we should go. And it's sold out. Oh. And okay. it's on a Thursday night, so I can't. But, that's still quite good. Mind oh. you, Gremlins 2 is better. Gremlins 2 is way better. In fact, it's one of the best. That, I fact, no, I've changed my mind. It goes, Gremlins <laughs> 2 goes Gremlins 2, then The Truman Show, then Jackie Brown. Those are the best 3 films of 1990s. Right. Okay, well good. Let's end <laughs> it here. <laughs> <laughs>